0: The Global TV Report 2020 stated that 1.4 million people died from TV-related illnesses in 2019. It also states that 3 million of the estimated 10 million people who developed TV in 2019 were not diagnosed with a disease or were not officially reported to national authorities. This situation is even trickier for drug-resistant TB. To quote the WHO's director, equitable access to quality and timely diagnosis, prevention, treatment, and care remains a challenge. Hi there, this is Microbe Mail, and as always, I'm your host, Vindana Chibabai. In this episode of Microbe Mail, we are talking about diagnostic tests for tuberculosis, the right test for the right patient from the right specimen type with the right interpretation. My guest today is Dr. Nina von Knorren. Nina is the microbiologist based at the NHLS Central TB Laboratory in Bramfontein. Hi, Nina. Thanks for joining me to discuss this important topic.
1: Thanks, Vin, and thanks for having me.
0: As always, before we head into the content of our episode, I want to remind you to sign up on our website to receive email updates of new episode releases, as well as our episode storyboards. Don't worry, you won't be spammed. You can also follow us on social media or on YouTube for updates. You'll find all the links in our show notes. Be as asymptomatic carrier in this MicroMail mail story and help us spread the word please share our details with anyone you think might be interested in this content. Okay, Nina, TB or not TB? Isn't that always the question?
1: Isn't it indeed. And um, mycobacterial detection is so critical uh, to making the correct diagnosis and starting the patients on effective treatment as early as possible. So I hope our discussions uh, will contribute to this.
0: Okay, great. So Nina, my first question is, which tests should be requested as the initial screening test for TB and why?
1: Okay, so our national TB screening algorithm here in South Africa, it centers on the gene expert assay. We follow WHO guidance, uh, which was updated last year in 2021. And it recommends expert or expert ultra as the initial test for adults and children. With signs and symptoms of pulmonary TB rather than smear microscopy and culture. Um, this also includes testing of extra pulmonary samples, especially CSF in suspected TB meningitis, um, also lymph node aspirates, biopsies, pus, and fluids. Mm-hmm. Um, the gene exploit is based on detection of mycobacterial DNA, and it's therefore more sensitive and accurate than smear microscopy, which was previously used for screening. Right. Uh, smear microscopy requires up to 10,000 bacilli per mil of sputum to actually detect TB. So we say it has a very high limit of detection. And this is compared to just about 100 bacilli for uh, expert and 16 for expert ultra. So wow. it's, it's a huge that difference. That is a huge difference. Um, So where previously um, we might only have picked up TB on microscopy when the patient is already quite sick, we now have a much more accurate rapid tool to detect it earlier Mm. and start the patient on treatment and then hopefully stop the risk of transmission to others. Um, TB culture, although it has a very low limit of detection of just about 10 or less bacilli, it is considered the gold standard but it's not really suitable for screening because the mycobacteria grow very slowly and so the culture can take weeks, uh, days or weeks to flag positive. Um, In addition, the gene expert is quite easy to perform, it doesn't require a lot of training Mm. Um, and the samples are processed in under two hours. Um, We still do oramine microscopy, it has an important role um, in determining whether a person is smear positive and infectious. And then we also use it to monitor treatment uh, response, so smear conversion to negative. Right. Um, line probes, which also pick up mycobacterial DNA, are less sensitive than Gene Expert at picking up TB, and they require a molecular lab infrastructure. They are much more complex to perform than the Gene Expert, and they usually run over a day or two. Mm-hmm. So the initial screening test should be the gene expert where possible, and the result of this test will then determine further testing.
0: Great. That was a great start, Nina. Thanks so much. So would you say there are any particular tips and tricks or maybe certain nuances that someone should keep in mind when submitting different specimen types for TB diagnostics to the laboratory?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So... uh, The first point should be to follow your national testing algorithm. Um, So here we have one for drug-susceptible TB and drug-resistant TB. And these algorithms, algorithms, they will uh, detail which tests should be requested when, and uh, they reduce the amount of unnecessary and incorrect test requests and also help to avoid uh, duplication. So the amount and quality of the sample is important. Each test requires a minimum volume. So for gene expert, the minimum is one mil, ideally more, mm-hmm. um, but one mil would be the minimum. For culture and further processing, a minimum of two mil is required,
0: mm-hmm.
1: ideally three or more. The problem is the smaller the amount of specimen, the more it becomes diluted once we add our reagents and then it reduces the chances of detecting microbacteria if they are yeah. any. Um, Sometimes we also receive empty containers, so always important to check if there's actually (laughs) something in it. (laughs) In terms of quality, um, if a sputum sample, uh, for example, consists of saliva, this can affect the ability to detect possible TB. So the patient should be told how to produce a good quality sample. And then once you have the sample, it should be sent to the laboratory as quickly as possible, ideally on ice and that is to avoid overgrowth of any normal flora that is in the sample. Um, it's also important to try and avoid specimen rejections due to leakage, so just make sure that the lid is tightly closed. We don't process any leaking specimen. Correct. And then in terms of extra pulmonary samples, like tissue for culture, Um, That shouldn't be sent in a fixative, um, as you would send it for histopathology. Otherwise, the mycobacteria will be killed off and won't grow. Mm -hmm. There are specific containers for FNAs. Um, Fluid samples can be sent in sterile containers.
0: Those are great tips, Nina. So, you know, these pre-analytical factors, as we like to call them in the laboratory, are so crucial to the yields from the laboratory Mm -hmm. and certainly something that we all need to be reminded of from time to time. Now we know that most clinicians, medical students and even nurses don't get much exposure to the laboratory, so they don't really know what happens to that specimen once it leaves their hands. Should we have a little chat about what happens to the specimen in the laboratory before the final actual testing occurs and perhaps why this might be relevant for a clinician to know?
1: Yes, I think that would be useful. Um, I'll focus on pulmonary specimens just because those are the bulk of our samples. Right. Um, So sputum samples contain normal bacterial flora from the oral cavity which we have to try and remove or reduce as much as possible before we culture the sample. We ultimately um, inoculate the specimen into liquid culture broth, and any contaminating bacteria present can then outgrow mycobacteria, and then make detection difficult or impossible. Mm. These uh, contaminating bacteria they grow much faster than mycobacteria, so they make um, they they um, the culture will flag positive quickly, but it's the, uh, the overgrowing organisms rather than mycobacteria, they won't have a chance to grow. So this can also then interfere with molecular assays. Um, So the respiratory sample undergoes a standardized process of digestion and decontamination. So the mucus is liquefied, um, sodium hydroxide is used to decrease any bacterial contamination And then in a final step, the sample is spun down to concentrate any organisms in the sample. Um, This process can be hampered if the sample is extremely contaminated when it arrives in the laboratory. So possibly because it hasn't been chilled during storage and transport. Mm -hmm. um, It might have been sitting on the windowsill somewhere in the clinic in the (laughs) sun. So that can contribute to this overgrowth. And then perhaps also to say of note is that about a third of mycobacteria may actually be killed uh, during the decontamination process and not grow in the culture medium, so this can be a problem if there's if there are very few bacilli to start off with. Right. Mycobacteria.
0: So again, that's emphasizing the importance of appropriate specimen collection and appropriate transport to the laboratory. So Nina, we were talking about the expert being the first um, test to be requested. An interpretation of the expert MTB RIF results can sometimes be a little bit confusing. Could you specify which of the results causes confusion and how this should be interpreted?
1: So the gene expert, it tells you whether there is uh, mycobacterial DNA um, in the sample, whether it has been detected, and whether or not the sample is um, susceptible to rifampicin, one of our first-line uh, drugs. And here in South Africa, we introduced the Next Generation Expert, the Expert Ultra, in 2017. And I think it's the trace result uh, that is reported with the Ultra that is causing some of the confusion. Mm. Um, So compared to the older assay, the Ultra is able to pick up even smaller amounts of mycobacterial DNA But if only a tiny amount is detected, then the assay is unable to determine if rifampicin is susceptible or not, um, and the result is released as rifampicin unsuccessful. Okay. Also, because it has this increase in sensitivity in detecting TB in clinical samples, the specificity is not so good, meaning that there will be slightly more false positive results. And this is particularly in patients with a trace result who've had prior TB and may still have residual DNA in their sample, and that is then being picked up. So in these cases, decisions Mm -hmm. to start treatment, they should be based on clinical presentation and whether the patient has had TB before or not. And then usually we uh, also recommend sending a further sample for culture Um, and susceptibility uh, because culture still remains the gold standard with the lowest limit of detection Okay. the other results are usually fairly straightforward and all reports also include um, a comment on further management
0: so just a reminder to the clinicians listening microbiologists will often put a comment with the result and it's quite important to read those comments Mm -hmm. they will give you some clues on interpreting the results and how you should manage and if you should be contacting us for for, for to request further tests as well. Okay. So one of the most important things about diagnosing TB is the ability to detect drug resistance so that the treatment regimen can be appropriately altered. So Nina can you talk us through resistance detection in the laboratory? and which tests are available for susceptibility to first- and second-line TB drugs?
1: So we have molecular tests where we look for specific mutations that confer drug resistance and what we call phenotypic tests, so tests based on culture and observed behavior of the strain in uh, the presence of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So our main initial molecular test um, that will determine rifampicin susceptibility is the gene expert, which we've already discussed. If resistance to rifampicin is detected, we have two additional molecular assays, the Hain line probe assays, um, that can determine isonitis. susceptibility in addition to rifampicin, so for first line, and then fluoroquinolone susceptibility uh, for second line drugs. Mm-hmm. Also injectable agents, but these are no longer as relevant. So for respiratory samples, these line probes can be done on both the clinical sample directly, which is the preferred option because mm-hmm. you, give, uh, you have a quick result. It usually takes a few days. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't always work out on the clinical sample either because there's not enough DNA or there are inhibitors in the clinical sample that are preventing the molecular test from working out. Yes. So in these cases, we have to wait for the culture to flag positive and then do the line probe assays on the culture. Okay. The culture will usually have a lot more DNA and it's more likely uh, to work out. The downside is that the organism can take uh, days or weeks to grow. So all the results of the line probe assays have to be interpreted individually um, and are sometimes not very clear. So you might see then that we are unable to release a re- result for a particular drug and have to request for a new sample to be submitted. Okay. And then in addition to the molecular tests, we do phenotypic susceptibility testing to second-line drugs like um, adaculin, linezolid, clofazamine. Because these rely on the cultured isolate, it will take much longer for these results to be ready. We have to grow the culture twice, basically. First to see if there is TB, then to determine susceptibility to the individual drugs. Another disadvantage is that the culture has to be pure, meaning if there is any bacterial contamination, we will not be able to proceed with this test. Um, It is, however, the gold standard because the molecular assays can miss a certain percentage of resistance um, if it isn't incorporated into the assay, whereas the phenotypic uh, DST that I've just discussed should pick up any resistance mechanism. And this is also the why we confirm um, isoniazid and fluoroquinolone resistance phenotypically, even if we have a susceptible result from the line probe assay because of the small percentage of resistance that will be missed on the molecular assay. So Nina, can I just confirm with you that if you pick
0: up resistance on the line probe assay, you don't confirm it no, yes. with phenotypic, but if it's susceptible on the line probe assay, then you'll confirm that with a phenotypic test?
1: Yes, so particularly for isoniazid in rifampicin, if the line probe reports rifampicin mono resistance so right. uh, isoniazid susceptible we will confirm in okay. phenotypic and the same for the fluoroquinolones right. if it's reported as susceptible. Okay. So <clears throat> here in South Africa we have a specific test request option called DRTB reflex testing and this is for patients newly diagnosed with rifampicin-resistant TB on Gene Expert. And it's a set of tests that will automatically be done on the follow-up sample that is submitted. And it includes all the necessary first and second-line tests so that they don't have to be requested individually. Okay. And then the NICD also offers extended phenotypic DSTs to several additional um, Drugs And this can be done in certain cases of treatment failure. This is detailed in our national guidelines um, and needs to be requested on an individual basis.
0: Thanks, Nina. So I think having those reflex testing uh, systems in place definitely do help the clinicians so they don't have to remember every single test to request Mm -hmm. for each Mm -hmm. patient. Um, And the national TB guidelines seem to be quite comprehensive, so I'll make sure that I include a link to the guideline in the show notes for the listeners. So in South Africa, a large proportion of TB cases is seen in advanced HIV disease. Um, So in this situation, the non-tuberculous mycobacteria also need to be on the list of differential diagnoses, not so. So what can you tell us about making the diagnosis of the non-tuberculous mycobacteria such as Mycobacterium avium and Mycobacterium cancaceae?
1: We have molecular tests um, line probe assays that can determine um, these NTM species, uh, non-tuberculous mycobacteria, on cultured isolates. Um, Our line probe assay covers about 13 different species in an initial test and then a few rarer species can be done on uh, a further line probe assay on sterile specimens, usually, Mm -hmm. if the initial assay is inconclusive. It doesn't include drug susceptibility, but if indicated, we can then request this from um, the TB reference laboratory at NICD. We don't need specific requests for NTM detection, so this will automatically follow once the sample has been submitted for mycobacterial culture and susceptibility. Depending on our findings, we will then go on to do the microbe assays for NTN
0: Oh, that's species. quite helpful. Mm-hmm. So for then for this then, what specimen type or does specimen type matter?
1: It doesn't. So as long as it's cultured, we use then the cultured use the culture so We use the itself. We don't do it on the clinical sample. Right, we do okay. It on the cultured isolate.
0: Okay, Nina. So on microbe male, we also try and address issues that either might specifically relate to children or gender specific issues. Can you tell us if there's any such consideration when it comes to TB diagnostics?
1: So, diagnosing TB in pediatric patients has additional challenges, as the samples often are often poorly bacillary, so often contain only few organisms that might be missed with molecular assays with high limits of detection. So, the GeneXpert Ultra is more sensitive than the previous version, but it still mm-hmm. remains uh, challenging. We have the culture, which is the gold standard, but it takes very long. And then there's also the urine lamb assay that is offered by the Department of Health. But I think we still need improved assays to increase diagnosis of TB in children. And also we need more data on easier to obtain specimens such as urine yes. and stool samples. So both of these samples were added to the WH- Guidance that was released last year on diagnostics. And stool in particular is um, being looked at as, um, or currently being studied as a possible initial uh, screening test uh, with a gene expert. For children specifically? For children, yes.
0: And the idea is that children probably would cough up a sputum, swallow it, and, and that's then, why it would appear in exactly. the stool. Hmm. Right.
1: What about babies then? So for, um, with regards to babies, if they're suspected BCG disease, we can arrange testing for this at our reference laboratory. It would just be best to alert us in advance if there are specimens um, um, for this test so we can ensure that it is processed correctly. Appropriately. Okay, great. So Nina, as
0: always, before I ask you for your take home message, we're going to switch to our spotlight feature for this episode. And I've got a really interesting mini microbe message for you. Take a listen. Hello, microbe mailers. My name is Diana. I'm 11 years old and I live in Swane, South Africa. Fungi are found everywhere in nature. We don't really know how many species of fungi there are, maybe between 2.2 and 3.8 million of them, but only about 120,000 of them have been documented. Fungi are important in breaking down plant matter and some of them cause diseases. Fungi are also really good to eat. Think of the delicious breads and mushrooms. Guess what? They're also really good drinks. Oh yes, all you beard lovers out there! It's all thanks to fantastic fungus. That was very cute. It was. Hey, yeah? I'm surprised cute. that she knew about beer and fungi and all of that. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> These children, the next generation, are going to be
1: mm. too clever for us.
0: So, Nina, do you have any final TB diagnostic pearls for our listeners?
1: I have a few comments, but um, they apply to other samples submitted for uh, micro-workup. But I feel they are particularly important with regards to testing for a chronic um, chronic disease like TB that requires lengthy treatment. Mm -hmm. So my first point would be, as much as one should think of TB as a possible diagnosis, to only request a test if there is clinical suspicion, problems arise when results come back as positive in a patient who is well and was never thought to have TB. It seems obvious, but right. it does happen and no. it really causes um, confusion. Confusion, yeah. exactly. It does happen frequently. Um, secondly, I would encourage clinicians to contact the lab if a result doesn't appear to make sense. As with any diagnostic lab test, they are not 100% accurate and results need to be correlated with the clinical picture. And it's especially important with TB, as I've said, uh, because of the lengthy treatment and drugs that have considerable side effects. And this is if things don't make sense in terms of detection of TB and the susceptibility pattern. So as we discussed, the TB diagnostics involve molecular testing. And as much as we try to reduce the risk of laboratory or sample cross-contamination and we have stringent quality controls in place, Mm. that does remain a small risk. So just to contact us if something doesn't make sense and we can um, then discuss it. And then lastly, I think you mentioned it earlier already, to just check the full... results on the report. We add comments to elaborate, explain, advice on management, and my experience has also been that these are often overlooked. That's true.
0: <laughs> Nina, it was really great to have you. Thanks so much for joining me on Micromail. And thank you for detangling these TV diagnostics. There is so much more we could discuss. Will you join me again sometime soon? Sure. I hope I managed to detangle a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. So before you go, please remember to click on the feedback link in the show notes and rate this episode. We'd love any additional feedback by email or on social media. So that's it from me, Finn, your micro messenger. See you again soon with more contagious news.